0: Hey, welcome to the Street Shots Photography Podcast with the Switch to Manual guys. I'm Antonio, and I'm alone tonight, and so you've got uh, uh, you've got my full attention. I've got your full attention for the next 45 minutes to an hour. This is episode 68, and originally I had a plan to have a guest host on tonight, but uh, due to life circumstances, we're going to postpone that until some... Uh, you know, soon future point. And, uh, you know, uh, I figured, uh, you know, it's the end of February and you know what, I, you know, I waited to record. <laughs> I thought the siren's going to go away. So there they are. We're in New York uh, recording live. Uh, anyway, it's the end of February. And I wanted to get, uh, like I said, I'm working on doing, uh, two episodes a month and, uh, regardless of what goes on, I'm putting them out no matter what. So you get to hear my voice, uh, for a second time in, uh, in February, I, I really appreciated the uh, last episode. I had a uh, guy I work with Reed, means on. We were talking about color and the relationships with color. He was a, he's a, uh, uh, uh video colorist and, uh, you know, we worked together and I, I thought, well, you know, it'd be great to talk about color. And that's a big, be- that is just the beginning conversation. We didn't, we didn't even scratch the surface about color. There's a lot more. I want to talk about color and relationships to, uh, actually relationships to movies because I'd like to, uh, Really keep that discussion going uh, in relationship to still photography. Movies and still photography have a lot in common. And uh, I got a lot of my opinions, and and I would love to just, you know, talk about that some more. So uh, I really appreciated uh, Reed being on episode 67 uh, a couple weeks ago. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I'll probably have him on again. It was really nice talking to him and getting a a point of view from someone who uh, works in the motion world. So anyway... Uh, Here I am, and uh, what I wanted to do tonight, since I'm sort of coming up with this at the last minute, uh, I had a different uh, idea for what the show was going to be like, but uh, I didn't need two people for that. So this is going to be me and, you know, uh, some bit of time uh, with my opinion. (laughs) I figured uh, I'm a very opinionated person, as those of you who know me know. um, And I thought maybe what I would do is I would fire up... uh, Uh, petapixel website petapixel for you all must know petapixel.com it seems to become somehow become the default photography website uh, news website news photography news aggregator website because I don't know how many of them uh, the articles they post are actually theirs or they're just pulling them in from other places um, and I know that when I'm often on uh, Shuttertime with Sid and Mac, they're often um, making some of their episodes, uh, the, the topics of some of their episodes based on some of the stories that they see in Petapixel, which I think is a great idea because there's just so much stuff on that site. And I really, um, I think that's a, it's a great website. I got some, you know, things about it. I won't go into it, you know, there's, you know, they are some, they're making a business, you know, so I, I, I wish them all the best. You know, um, I got a little opinions about it, but somehow I, uh, how they've become the default uh, uh, photography news site is um, I'm really curious about that. But I guess there it had to be one of the sites. Some site had to rise to the top. So it's Petapixel. I'm not a big fan of their name. I don't like the way it sounds. But all right, whatever. Okay, <laughs> this is just me. This is me ranting a little bit. But what I thought I would do is, you know, I've been seeing a bunch of stories. Uh, on their site for the past couple of months and what i thought i would do tonight is just really rattle through a bunch of them as much as i can in a short period of time i'm not going to spend too much time on each story although i'm going to see where it goes in my mind you know because i'm pretty much talking to myself talking to you uh and uh, see what i can do in you know 45 minutes to an hour and not bore you guys to death but this is mainly going to be my opinions about things and you know they can be. They're right and they're wrong. You know, they're my opinions, um, my information based on my experience and uh, just things that I think think about when I look at this stuff. So I thought maybe I'd share that with you, and if anything, it would probably I would like if it posted up some sort of dialogue. You know, if you guys listen to this and you have something to say about what I'm saying, you know, I'd love to hear from you uh, either on Twitter or uh, Facebook and start a discussion about it because that's kind of what the point is. I would love to have other people coming at me about different aspects of these stories. Um, you know, equipment, uh, opinion pieces, whatever I'm going to talk about tonight and, uh, really, you know, begin a dialogue about photography. That's what I like to do. That's what the show's kind of about <laughs> sometimes. And, uh, so I figured, you know, let's just let me just go through them. I got a bunch of tabs open in my on my browser in front of me, and I'm gonna whip through them maybe <laughs> as much as as much as I can, and hopefully not bore you. But again, this is just you guys listening to me. Like if we were sitting here uh, across the table from each other and we we're whipping through the site, you know, and talking about stuff, uh, this would be my side of it. You know, I'd love to hear your sides of it, and please, please, you know. Uh, share with me your your opinions as well. I'd love to hear from you and I'd love to open up a uh, a dialogue you know I'm on and I say Twitter too you know I like to talk about in Twitter, yeah, Twitter and Facebook are the places where we post the most uh, information so anyway, without further ado, I'm gonna go through it and this is in no particular order, although I've grouped some of the stuff together, but there's no order to this so um it might be maybe it's newer to older stories, you know okay, because I was going down their website. Uh, from the top down, so I was just picking things, but I I shoveled a few of them around, so uh, let me go for the first thing, and their first story, oh, you know what, of course, I will put all the links in the show notes, but it's pretty much everything on Petapixel's site, so they're not hard to find, Um, but the first story is about a website called 500pix, Uh, some of you might be involved with it, I am as well, they just got acquired, by a Chinese company called VCG, and Petapixel's headline says, 500 picks acquired by VCG, the Getty Images of China. And uh, well, I'm not going to read the stories, because that's, you know, you can go to the site and read their stories. But it uh, um, what's being considered the Getty Images of China uh, has purchased 100% of the shares of 500 picks. They also own um, Bill Gates's... Uh, uh, photo agency called Corbis. So, um, this company also bought that too. And so now I don't know if that means the entire operation is going to move to China. Uh, I don't know what that means, but, uh, being in the photography stock business for a long time, this does not surprise me. A lot of stock agencies have gotten vacuumed up by larger agencies And, you know, we've gotten, that's what Getty Images is, essentially. Getty Images is one of those uh, American companies that sort of, American, British, I'm not sure where it's actually based. Uh, I want to say it's in America. Um, But that vacuumed up a lot of smaller agencies and put them under their umbrella name, Getty. And this sounds like uh, this uh, Chinese company based in Beijing is doing the same thing. At least now they have 500 PICs. They also have Corbis. I'm not sure who else they have. I'd have to look into it. Um, my opinion about this is, like I said, I've seen this before. You know, uh, I, I'm not going to say it's either good or bad, but I'm sure things are going to change. I've got pictures up at 500 Pics at Flickr. I got pictures up at Instagram, and you know, when 500 Pics popped up, you know, I was like, okay, I'll join it and throw my pictures on there. And eventually, they opened up a marketplace, and I agreed to it. And I think I might have sold maybe like one or two pictures. But um, I've had a lot of opinions about five-year picks, basically saying that, uh, you've you probably heard this a, a, a bunch of times from me, but um, there's sort of like an echo chamber thing I see going on there where photographers are creating pictures for other photographers to like, and they're they're making them in a similar style, and so to me, a lot of the pictures on 500 pics, at least the ones that rise up to the surface, begin to look alike, and, you know, I almost equate it to, a, uh, like, a website that sells, you know, that, that gives away uh, wallpapers for uh, desktop computers. There's kind of a feel to that. Now, I don't mean to put them down or like that, but there's just something about it that is just, I don't know, I think... I think because it's a social network and people are putting their pictures up and hoping to get likes and comments and stuff like that that they're, they're catering to a certain aesthetic. And so you know there's that. So I, I've put my pictures up and you know I might have actually taken a couple of shots and tweaked them a little bit so sort of like, you know hey, but I, um, I couldn't I haven't quite found my footing at 500pics yet and I really don't want to spend the time going there and saying to people, "Nice picture, nice picture and hoping that they come back and say it to me, like I have no interest in that. So I put pictures up there. In the sense that uh, once they signed, the, once they told us that we can start selling them, I was like, okay, fine. They're sitting there. They can sell or not. Um, but, you know, I made a couple of sales there, and I wasn't all that impressed with it. So I don't know what this is going to mean uh, for, you know, people who are, are part of 500 picks. I don't know if it's going to mean anything from my pictures there. The email I did get from uh, from this purchase from 500 Picks basically says, you know, we're going to do all these sorts of cool things for contributors. And so that has yet to be seen. So, I'm going to say sort of like the the jury's still out on this. A few people that I know on Facebook have been saying that they're, you know, this is sort of sealed the deal and they're pulling their pictures off of Petapix on iSY and they're like, you know, a couple people were like, well, you know, it's just um, another thing to deal with and uh, so they're pulling their pictures off. There wasn't an immediate reaction to the sale. So, I'm not entirely sure why people are removing their pictures. I mean, you know, uh, it, they're there, they're selling but you know, pulling them off, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's worth doing yet. But that leads me to another quick story about 500 picks, and and this is a recent uh, post at Petapixel. Uh, photographer put up uh, Beware 500 picks, is very flexible pricing. I'll go buy it very fast. The, the 500 picks has some set prices for the kind of pictures that people can buy, and the prices range depending on the size of the picture. And it, from quickly reading this article, it sounds like this photographer had a bunch of sales, a few sales from some pictures, and his end results of the money that he received was very, very little compared to how much 500 px is saying that they're selling them for. And there's some stipulation in the con- uh, in the agreement that you sign when you uh, become a contributor to 500 picks that's basically saying, the way I interpret it, was that uh, 500 picks can get into a relationship with a client where they are um, they can make bulk sales and then thus lower the price of a picture uh, that they're going um, to sell uh, to a client based on bulk pricing. Um, that's it may not be exact, but that's kind of how I interpret it. I'm not a lawyer, so I'm not you know I don't know the fine uh, tuning of this uh, the wording here. But uh, it does, from his description, it sounds like pictures were sold, and they might have been sold as part of a bulk sale with other pictures, and he got very, very little money uh, from those um, from those sales. Uh, I should say leases. They're not, they're not. People are not really selling pictures. You know, when you put your pictures in a stock agency, you're not selling them. You're leasing them. Unless you're doing a place like, uh, even the royalty-free, you know, uh, agencies, you're not you're not selling them. People don't own your pictures. Like to me, selling a picture means like I'm here's the my picture. I'm giving it to you, and now it's your picture. And I have no rights to it anymore. There people are not selling pictures. They're leasing the usage of whether it's royalty-free or, or rights managed. Just just sort of get into that mindset. You're not selling it. Maybe you could sell prints, sure. Uh, because you're actually selling a product, right? So you're saying, here you are. But your your actual image you own. Anyway but I told you this would be kind of a sideways way for me to start talking about other stuff. Um, you know, he, uh, as a contributor to 500 picks, you don't really know what the, the inner workings of the sales are. So they're not going to disclose that. So you're going to get, you know, this photographer is getting a, a, a price. Let's say, for instance, um, I'm going to read right here. Uh, he had a picture, uh, he says $149 large picture was sold for just $27. In other words, Petapixel has a price for a, a large picture, and it's $140, and he only got $27 from it, or it sold for $27. And a $2.99 unlimited print was sold for $3.96, and a product for resale purchase was, per, was priced at $748, only earned $8 for this photographer. And this all sounds like bulk pricing. In other words, you know, someone's going to come around and say, look, I want to buy you know 400 pictures from 500 pics, and they're going to say, well, we'll give you a deal on those pictures. You know, you're not going to pay $748 for each picture. This has been going on in stock agencies for a very long time. Even with um, rights managed and even when we were dealing with slides, uh, when you submitted your pictures, you know, they gave basically the agency the right to sell the pictures in the way they want to sell them in order to make their business. Uh, and generally the, the stock agencies would work towards, you know, making it an equitable uh, sales, so that the contributor or the photographer would get a fair amount of money. And you know, these days it's shifted a lot. You know, so the agencies are taking a lot more; they're giving the contributors a lot less, mainly because there's so many contributors now, and uh, you know they can pick and choose. Before, when stock agencies were just f- real photographs, you know, they there was a different kind of relationship between the contributors and the agencies. It was more specialized. Now everybody's taking pictures, and so I think the agencies have a little bit more pull because they can say, you know, well, we don't need your pictures. We can do this. If you don't like it, you don't have to sign with us. So anyway, that's sort of the two stories about 500 pixels I want to talk about. You know, they, the, the sale to the, the Chinese company is worth keeping a look at if you're part of 500 pixels, but also – this pricing thing that they've got set up, this these two are going to be related somehow where how the Chinese um, uh, parent company is going to deal with this. Uh, I don't think, for instance, it's going to get better. Uh, that's my opinion. Prices generally don't go up, you know. So, you um, know, it's a word of warning. If you're going to get involved with 500 Pictures, you're still there. You know, keep an eye on things. You know, make sure that you feel like you're being treated, you know, well. There are other, If you really want to sell your pictures, there are other stock agencies that you can go to. Uh, you might get better prices and you might have a better time with it. So anyway, keep a keep a lookout for 500 picks. The next story that popped in, is okay, now we're into a gear, okay? So there's going to be a little mix of everything, gear and, uh, and uh, whatever else they got. But the, they're mentioning Lensbaby unveils the Burnside 35, first wide angle Petzval lens. Okay, I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly. Um, lens Abe is coming out with a new lens that has some features on it that, that have an effect that are really nice uh, for some people that would like it. And uh, I saw this first on Facebook, on a Facebook post, and I saw some of the comments. And someone said that, oh, you, you know, they're charging $500 for a lens that uh, that's basically a mimic of a Russian lens called the Helios. Um, boy, something's going on out there. I don't know if you can hear the sirens, but... This has been going on for the past ten minutes, maybe longer actually. So something's going on out there. Excuse me, but you know I live on the Ocean Parkway, so there's a lot of stuff going on. Anyway, uh, this lens baby is uh, five hundred dollars. It's come out for all the different brand cameras, and it's kind of a cool effect. It's it's a, you know center sharp with sort of the outsides kind of blurry and almost looking like a swirl. And someone said it looks like a helios lens and i looked into a helios lens and it's a russian made lens and i found one actually on uh, i don't know where it was i did a search and anyway I bought it for like 60 bucks because i like this effect but i also saw a picture from the helios lens someone posted and i was like wow that looks really really nice and uh, it was a picture of some flowers and uh, i like to do some new stuff when springtime comes up and goes to the brooklyn botanic garden so, anyway, I bought this lens. Actually, one of the things, this is sort of a sideways story, is I, I've been buying um, lots of adapters for my Fuji camera and been putting my Nikon lenses on it because I've been wanting to see what they look like on the Fuji. I've got all these this great Nikon glass. So, I've, I've been buying, I bought like three different adapters, and now I can put all my lenses on my Fuji camera, all my Nikon lenses on my Fuji camera. But I also bought an adapter. I bought this, this Helios lens, which is a screw mount. And so, I bought an adapter for that. And I put that on, and I've been playing with it, and so far the lens is really good. I'm not seeing this kind of swirly effect yet, but I haven't been shooting things with very shallow depth of field yet. It's a very, it's pretty sharp lens. Like I said, it was only $60, uh, and I think maybe what I have to get. Some other photographer was posting their pictures, and he had a what's called like a turbo booster, which will make the um, uh, focal length the actual focal length that the lens is rather than changing it like you know when you have an APS-C sensor you put a 44 millimeter lens in and it's got the f- equivalent full frame focal length of a 66 millimeters like one and a half times so this turbo adapter would actually make it a 44 millimeter lens and it might actually eff- change this effect but anyway I saw this and I was like actually I want this lens but I'm not really willing to pay $500 for a lens baby lens or any real lens right now I don't have a lot of money. But I could pay the 60 bucks for the, for the Russian lens so anyway this lens is out now it looks kind of cool I have a lens baby lens I have a lens baby trio 28 I think you've talked about it before it's kind of like a lens baby sampler and it's got no um, it's got no F stops on it it's just a f35 so it goes very shallow depth of field and it's got three effects that you rotate the lens in front and uh, you can get the three different effects and one of them is actually kind of a swirly effect like very similar to this. Uh, but it's not a lot of it's not a lot of um, control on the lens. You can't change the f-stop and stuff like that. So anyway, I'm looking at these pictures. They're very nice pictures. Uh, if the Russian lens that I bought will do the same thing, I'll be happy with that. So I'll, that I will let you guys know <laughs> as I get closer to being able to shoot things that I want to shoot and get this kind of effect with it. But anyway, um, the lens baby lens is out. It's 500 bucks. Uh, it looks kind of fun for those of you who want to experiment. Staying in the equipment department, I'm a Fuji guy. I'm also a Nikon guy, but I'm, I'm, I've, I've been really converting to Fuji. I've, there, like I said uh, many times before, there's something that resonates with me about the way the Fuji pictures uh, coming, at, uh, coming out of the X, Fuji X cameras look. It just resonates with me on an emotional level. And you've probably heard this or read this a bazillion times from other photographers talking about the same thing. They must have something going because we're all sort of, you know, we're all sort of drinking the Kool-Aid in a way. But um, I have become a Fuji guy, you know, and uh, I wanted to stick that way. And I, I, I recently got a Fuji X-T20, which is their DSLR style camera. It's like a, it's not their higher end one. It's just a, you know, I want to say prosumer camera. It's the wrong way to say it, but it's a smaller version than of their X-T2, which is their flagship camera. And I got this camera because it was, again, something I can afford. And uh, I've been trying to do some video with it, too. It's, it's not built as a video camera, but I'm actually kind of happy with the video that it's, that it's doing. And I'm going to shoot a video uh, soon for somebody. I'm going to use this camera specifically for it. Uh, so I'm looking forward to it. But Fuji just announced a new camera, uh, which I'm sure everybody's heard about, called the X-H1. And it looks like a bigger camera. So it's physically bigger. Looks more like a DSLR, and it's um, got a little bit more in the uh, in the video department, which is something I want. I mean, I would love to have a separate video camera and a separate DSLR. And there's jobs where I really want to use like a you know a video camera for. It. But if I had to buy one camera that could do both well, or you know, shoot stills really well and do video pretty good, you know, this Fuji doesn't look too bad. But one of the things it's got. It's got in-camera stabilization, which means, for those of you who don't know, um, m- most of you know what this means, but uh, some of you may not know, there's stabilization that can be built into a lens. Speaking of lenses, I'm hitting lens caps here. There's stabilization that can be built in a lens or built into the camera. Now, if it's built into the lens, then, then you have to use the right kind of lens on the right kind of camera body. So if I got Fuji lenses with stabilization built into them, I cannot use the stabilization if I put the lens on, say, a Nikon camera. It's kind of really meant to be with the Fuji camera. Um, But if the camera itself has got stabilization, which I think some uh, Panasonic GH models have that, um, and there's probably a few other cameras that I don't know off the top of my head, but I know the Panasonic does that, that means you can put any kind of lens you want on that camera if you have an adapter for it, of course. And that lens will then benefit from image stabilization because the image stabilization is built into the camera. So you don't need to have a lens with stabilization. So anyway, this popped up on the feed. And I've been reading about it because I'm a Fuji guy. And once I heard about the in-camera stabilization and that I've been playing around with buying these adapters for my Nikon lenses, and none of my Nikon lenses are, are stabilized, by the way. I mean, even on my Nikons, are not stabilized. I think I've got... One lens, because I was buying Nikon lenses when they weren't making a lot of stabilization, which is kind of really weird and stupid on Nikon's part. And I'm, I, you know, I'm a Nikon guy. I like Nikon's, but they made a lot of boneheaded decisions about their lenses. Uh And now, you know, they're catching up on things. But, you know, what took you so long, Nikon? Jeez, you know. <laughs> and a lot of the Fuji lenses, I've well, I've got one, two. I think I've got two Fuji lenses. They're stib- they've got stabilization built into them. And I'm sure that's the same for a lot of the Canon lenses. And I'll, I can probably go on the, the list of – anyway, okay, enough ranting about Nikon. Anyway, I'm looking at this, and the price doesn't seem too bad, but the fact that it's got this built-in stabilization on the sensor, the sensor is what is moving around to stabilize the image – and the fact that I've got Nikon lenses and the fact that I want to start doing some more video. And this camera looks like it's taking video a little more seriously. And it's got the Fuji guts, you know. So it's got the same um, X-Trans sensor that the other Fujis have, 24 megapixels, which I think is really, uh, really enough, uh, certainly enough for whatever I need to do. But it's got a lot of the stuff that the Fuji cameras have, the stuff that I like. So if I ever got this camera, which I think I'd like to save up some money to get this camera, it would solve a couple of things for me. First of all, I'd have a pretty decent, you know, SLR style body, which I can change the lenses on. And because I want to start doing some video stuff, it would be great to do it with image stabilization. This can do it, you know, and there's a lot of stuff on the video end. Now, this is not a video podcast, but, you know, as photographers, we're getting into that where a lot of us are doing video for clients and stuff like that. We, in fact, we need to sort of know both in a way, you know, we're not videographers necessarily by trade. You know, we didn't, you know, go to film school or whatnot, but uh, we are, you know, our cameras have these capabilities and and people want videos from this stuff. So, you know, there's a few times when I need a video camera, Um, this would fill a lot of the slots, not every slot, you know, that's not built to shoot a two hour long event, You know, you have to stop and start it that many times. Although, um, well, I think, anyway, uh, you know, I'd I'd rather have like a, you know, a Canon C100, which is a dedicated video camera. If I could afford one of those, I would get it. But, you know, as as a sort of fitting all bills, this camera doesn't look too bad. Now, I'm not, I don't think it's come out yet or I haven't seen any, you know, sample images from it. And it looks like it's a big camera. So it's not a little Fuji anymore. Fuji's cameras are really nice and small. This thing is not small. Uh, I've seen some pictures of it, and it's kind of goofy looking. you know. I'm looking at it, and it doesn't have that kind of style that the other uh, Fuji cameras have that really looks like retro style, but it looks functional. And it looks like it's a camera meant to be used for work, and so I don't think it's going to be that much money. Actually, it's saying that uh, cameras are said to be have a price tag of $1,900, so it's just shy of $2,000 for a Decent still camera and a decent video camera. You know, I, you know, if I start saving my money for now, <laughs> maybe in a couple of years I'll have enough for it. But I'm looking forward to this camera. I'm a Fuji guy, and I think I want to go for this in the future. I mean, I would like the other Fujis, but you know, this has got some serious uh, video chops, and I need that. Staying in the hardware uh, gear department. This popped up a quick little thing. Canon's got a new flash. Uh, for those Canon people, you know, talking about other gear, not just Fuji stuff, not just Nikon stuff, but um, this one caught my eye. Fuji's got this flash. It says it's the Canon's 470EX AI. Is the world's first flash with AI bounce. What is AI? Artificial intelligence bounce. Uh, bounce flashes, you know, when you take your flash... Uh, like an external flash and you bounce it off the ceiling or you bounce it off the wall and it, you know, instead of flashing directly into someone's eyes and getting this kind of, you know, deer in headlights look when you bounce it off of a surface, uh, you can get some diffused light, especially if the surface is white. So, you know, people bounce the light off the ceiling. So anyway, I watched the video of this thing very quickly and it's doing something where it, the, the flash itself is rotating without you having to do it. It is finding the ceiling. It's spinning around on its own. and and it's placing itself supposedly in the perfect place to get the perfect exposure. Uh, It looks like it's a good kind of flash, maybe a good kind of flash if you're just wanting to get into flash photography and you're intimidated by it. Um, It looks like it would do some of these things for you. You don't have to pay attention to it. Um, To me, it just looks like another thing that's going to (laughs) break. It's like some mechanical thing in your camera that's doing something automatically. Uh, And, you know, the more... The more stuff you have moving around, the more pieces moving around, the more gears and stuff like that, the more chance something is going to break. So, yeah, it may take care of a few things for you, you know, if you're you're new to this. But, you know, my thought process is, like, don't spend a ton of money on a flash. Just buy a flash. Learn how to use it. Spend, like, an hour in a room with some people before you go out on a job or shoot a wedding or whatever you're going to do with a flash. And test it. It's really not that hard. Flash, flash photography is not something you should be intimidated by. There's a lot of resources about learning how to do it properly. And it doesn't take a, you know, it's not a rocket science, you know. So uh, this flash might be kind of fun for you if you don't want to think about how to set up the flash. If it, it indeed works, I mean, I don't know if there's a review or if this thing, thing is even out yet. It's also $400. A lot cheaper flashes you can buy. Uh, and so far, it's only Canon. So, you know, maybe for those, you know, only for Canon people, it might be fine. But, you know, buy it. Buy an inexpensive flash. Read a couple of books. It really isn't rocket science, you know. Get a diffuser. I've used tissue paper. You know, it looks kind of weird. You don't want to do that with photographing an executive. You have tissue paper over your, your flash. Um, but uh, anyway, it just caught my eye. It caught my eye as something, as a gimmick that could be fun. It may be the future uh, like I said, it looks like something. I've my flashes that I've got have, ta- have taken a beating. Uh, they still work, but the the physical they've taken a lot of physical beatings. And uh, to me, having something mechanical on the top of your camera that you're really relying on, and it you know it's just another mecha- mechanism to break. So you would probably still you know suppose you were on a job or your or job, you say you're shooting with this flash and you're really relying on it, and suddenly it doesn't work. Suddenly the mechanicals doesn't work. You're going to have to figure out how to do it yourself anyway. So you're best off learning it yourself. Uh, At $400, I think you could buy a couple of less expensive flashes. So anyway, but just caught my eye is something new. I've never seen a flash that uh, did this before. I'm, I'm actually kind of curious about the uh, the artificial intelligence behind it, like what it's, what it's doing. So there's there's that kind of fun thing about it. And uh, I wish it well. Maybe, it, maybe, it, maybe it is very robust and it won't break. But again, you know, multi- moving pieces tend to break. And you know, switching from gear to software, you know, new things that have come out. Uh, the newest version of Lightroom has come out, and one of the things everybody's been moaning about me being one of them, is the speed of uh, Lightroom, and and Adobe's finally saying, we've got speed now, we've built in some speed. Now, my experience with it is I've had a very frustrating time with Lightroom in general. Now, a couple things, caveats for me is that I've got a huge library of like something like 670-something thousand images. So it's a big, big library. I have not split my library up. I like having... All my ears together. Now that's probably <laughs> slowed things down. Of course. Now we're here. who's laughing? I hear you laughing about that. Yes. Anything with six hundred and seventy thousand of anything in it is going to slow whatever it is down. Six hundred and seventy thousand clowns in a car. No, <laughs> it's a car's go. Sorry, that was bad. Um, so yeah, uh, I am. I am sort of an extreme sub, you know, test case here. Um, but I, you know, with my Nikon pictures, when I've put Nikon shots into even my library, when it was, you know, maybe not six hundred and seventy thousand, when it was half that, it was Lightroom was still a slow program. And one of the things I've had a lot of problems with generally is is Fuji RAW files. I shoot Fuji RAW and JPEG, and I think part of the slowness has really helped me move away from sitting at my desktop uh, and using Lightroom. So I've moved to more of a mobile. Uh, processing workflow Um, but I still use Lightroom to organize my pictures and and to back everything up and have you know some library but I don't always use it for processing but even just putting the pictures in for the library like importing them and stuff like that the Lightroom has been really really just oh my god slow and I've got an older computer an older Mac uh, Mac Pro from 2009 which I'm actually surprised still running you know knock on wood I'm really happy it's still running I've, I've added some stuff to it to make it run. So, yes, it's an older computer. And, you know, being fair, thinking about Lightroom working on this computer, you know, okay, they're doing a decent job for, you know, maintaining an old computer and still, it's still usable. Anyway, the newest version came out and they said there's a speed boost. I am noticing a speed boost, at least it's some of the things I've been doing. First of all, importing pictures, it's gotten much faster, especially with Fuji. RAW files. And because I've now got the X-T20, it's a larger RAW file than my previous cameras, which were 16 megapixels. These are 24 megapixels. So there's a little bit more data that Lightroom has to deal with. And they, pictures have been coming in pretty quickly. Uh, not, again, speed demon, but I'm like I said, I'm working with an older computer. So I would love to hear from anybody who's got faster computers how it's working for them. Especially if you have a big library. That's kind of what I hear from. And what I have noticed, and I'll post a link to this, is that just a few days ago, I decided to, to go through my Lightroom library. and I took my iPhone and I filmed while I was scrolling through all the pictures I took through this year. And I just basically started the first picture from January 1st and I hit the right arrow key button and that scrolls through all the pictures in Lightroom. And I was able to scroll through on video because I was basically showing you, hey, what have, what have I done this year? So I was able to scroll through about 4,500 pixel pictures uh, and they were the raw files. They weren't JPEGs. And I was able to do it in about two minutes because that's how long the video is. It's about a two-minute long video and you've seen about 4,500 pictures. So that seems kind of good in terms of like being able to see a large preview on the screen and go through them very fast in Lightroom. And not all the pictures had previews built on them. So there's actually a couple times in the video where you see it sort of stop and think and, and render the picture a little bit, but it's not bad. So I'm going to I'm gonna give a, you know, I'm not going to do a star rating. I'll give a thumbs up, right? I think this, this update for Lightroom is a thumbs up. Uh, you know, f- up to me, if it were up to me, I would like to have a faster computer uh, with a lot more storage, but m- I want to keep my library large because I like looking at all my pictures. But, you know, Lightroom is having to push a lot of data around. So I want to be fair in that case. it's a lot of stuff they have to do. But they have been saying that we're gonna get faster and faster, and I think this time they actually did. I still want more speed uh for a few things, but you know, maybe I should just get it, you know, just get a new computer at some point, you know. Um I might build a I might build a Hackintosh or something like that to take care of that. You hear this? You can hear the sirens, right? Something's going on. I'm gonna to have to check the news because this this is unusual. This is actually very unusual, it's getting me nervous, but yeah. I'm going to let you guys listen to that for a second. (laughs) Um, just let it go because this is New York. I shouldn't be pointing it out to you. You guys are going to hear it anyway. So, you know, it's, I'm not, I don't live in a soundproof room. I can't do this in a soundproof room. Anyway, Lightroom looks good. Uh, it still looks the same, you know, at some point I would love them to change the way Lightroom looks. I think the interface to me is terrible. Uh, I'm, I'm still a big fan of Apple's aperture. Uh, I might have said this, but for those of you who haven't heard, to me when I'm working in Lightroom, I feel like I'm working with files. This is kind of the reason why I've moved away from the desktop, because I'm working with files. I'm storing them in folders, and you know, even when processing, it's. I mean, I don't know. It doesn't feel right because when I was working with Aperture a while back, Aperture actually made me feel like I was working with photographs, and I don't know what Apple does. Some intangible thing. That they were able to do with their software. Um, that when I was working in, it's like I felt like I was working in a light table with with my slides. You know, because uh, I worked a lot with slides, and it really felt that way. Uh, even in their processing, there was something very organic to it that just felt like they had built the program around working with images, whereas Adobe built a, a program to deal with files you know, image files. And, you know, the word capture comes to mind when I think of, you know, Lightroom and I think of all the technical stuff. And, uh, you know, anyway, I I still process in Lightroom. I like processing Lightroom now on my iPad or my iPhone, mainly because the touch interface of the screen actually makes me feel like I'm doing something organic to the pictures. So I'll give them credit for that. And I'm almost thinking like my next kind of, if I was going to get another computer, I mean, I do want to build one for, my Lightroom library, um, maybe build a Hackintosh because they're less expensive than building, you know, buying a Mac. But I think for my next mobile workflow, I mean, I'm really thinking about an iPad Pro, or, you know, maybe a Surface. No, not really. <laughs> the Surface would be very limiting for me because the Surface uh, would only be for processing, and I have lots of apps and stuff in the in the iOS ecosystem. So an iPad Pro would actually be useful because it would be doing multiple things. I'm not really into getting into the Windows system yet. I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying I'm not into it yet because it would require a whole new shift for me, but I'm, I'm not quite ready to do that. But, you know, an iPad Pro, but the 12-inch iPad Pros, I could see putting my pictures on there, especially with the iPad's new ability to show a lot more colors. Um, I think the processing in that would very interesting, especially because I, you know, use your fingers for that. You know, it feels like you're making something, even though it's virtual. You know, it's okay, okay stop hitting the lens cap. Move the lens out of the way. You know, you're not, in, you're, you're working with your fingers, even though, like I said, it's virtual. It's not really like you're in a dark room, but it feels like it. You know, and I think Apple really has that interface kind of texture. I don't know. There's something organic about them, more or less. I'm not going to get into an Apple Windows debate right now. It's not, you know. All's good. Whatever gets the job done, I'm happy for. I'm actually kind of rooting for Microsoft these days. they, they to me now, they're the Apple of the. <laughs> Apple's turned into Microsoft. They've completely flipped. Anyway, blah blah blah. All right. Now you know. Okay, look, we're forty minutes into it. You've been listening for minutes. I'm I've still got a whole bunch of stuff. I can't. I can't go through them all. Um. The first thing, okay. Well, wait. Let me. I'm gonna skip this one here. I'll come back to this one. Uh, another story that came on was a video of these photographers complaining about the terms, stupid photography terms, and ideas for fixing them. Looks like a husband and wife team, Tony and Chelsea Northrup, got on and started to uh, bitch and moan about um, photography terms and and basically sort of say why are they why are these terms. Why do they exist? They, they don't make any sense. And they go through the whole list. Stops, fast, shutter speed, ISO, focal length, f-stop, uh, exposure triangle, depth of field. I watched the video. It's about five minutes. And I, I stopped watching it because it, initially I stopped and I was like, I can't hear these people just complain about stuff. And then I watched it again because I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that they're doing this tongue-in-cheek, I hope. Because uh, <laughs> they do sell and they teach uh, photography. So they have to teach these terms and stuff like that. And you know, I had this whole thing in my head. I was going to, you know, complain about them complaining about these terms. Um, and I can understand some of them, you know, why, why do we, we, you know, when I teach people, you know, switching to manual and I have to explain to them why some of these things are the opposite, like increasing your shutter speed means actually decreasing the amount of light. And there's a lot of opposites in photography, you know, what do stops mean, why the numbers, why the numbers like this. And, uh, you know, I've spent a long time learning these things and they just become natural to me. And so I can understand people who are getting into photography now are like saying, this doesn't make any sense. Um, I don't think we're going to be changing these terms. I mean, there are there's photography is not the only you know field where it has very strange terms that are sort of antiquated. But you know what? They have a link to the past, you know, and I think that's kind of an important thing. Um, You know, if you want to call it, if you want to change something for your own idea, that's fine. But I think having this common set of terms that uh, links us to where photography came from and, you know, okay, so it's backwards. So what? You know, but, you know, they drive on the other side of the road in England and people get used to that. So big deal. (laughs) You know? Uh, Or maybe people in England think we drive on the other side of the road. Well, we do. So... Anyway, you know, we get used to these things that are, that are different. But one of the things they don't mention, and I'm sort of skipping onto the, it's not a story, it's just sort of a rant. <laughs> they didn't mention the, the term, I, I, don't, I still don't even know how to pronounce it, bokeh, B-O-K-E-H, okay? Uh, the rant, here's my rant. Okay, rant time. You can fast forward if you want. Uh, I know this term is Japanese. It means something about the quality of the out-of-focus parts in the back I have never used it. I don't like it. I call it the B word. I, I, I'm, you know, I grew up in photography in the business. Uh, I never heard a client ever talk about bokeh or I never heard a gallery talk about the bokeh. You know, it is, it is not a phrase that is in me. Now I've heard people talk about it and it becomes this thing about like how to, um, how to sort of figure out what, I figure out, how do, what am I what am I trying to say? The quality of the the parts that are not in focus well, it has a lot to do with the way the lens is shaped and the shape of the aperture and probably a whole bunch of other technical things. And, you know, in a sense, it's kind of like a, a measurement, you know, but is it an aesthetic? Is it a measurement? I don't know. I I think it should have been in that video of stupid phrases because I don't use it and someone said well what do you call that part I'm like I don't call it anything Like, I don't call the part that's in sharp focus something, it doesn't have a word it's the place that's sharp so using that as as my uh, basis I'm going to say it's the place that's out of focus, I don't call it anything and I don't care what it looks like, I mean if I'm going to judge a lens, which I guess is what this is for, if I'm judging a lens um, I'm going to judge it based on all sorts of things, and this out-of-focus part is part of it. Of course, I can't say it's not. You know, I'm going to look at it and say, oh, I don't like that. I don't like the way it forms. You know, I don't like the shapes that the aperture is creating and the background and the out-of-focus parts. But I can't call it by that name. I'm sorry. I'm old, you know, older. I'm 50. I'm not old. But I come from a different, you know, generation of photographers. Uh, I don't use that term. It, to me, it's the B word. It doesn't make any sense. And, uh, you know, measuring it, sure. people. I'm looking at this article about bokeh, and, and you know, people are measuring it, and it, it's got a lens, and it's got things bending and points of lights and sensors. And, like, really, I could care less about it. If the lens looks good, it looks good. If it doesn't look good, it doesn't look good. And that's just my opinion, and that's my, you know, I it's my measurement. You know, if I don't like it, I'm not going to buy that lens. So... I want to throw that in as rant. Okay, now you guys can come back. I've stopped ranting. Uh, that's it for the B-word rant. Okay, it's 45 minutes in. I think I can go a couple more <laughs> a couple more minutes and not bore you. Um, I'm going to go into, oh boy, let's see. All right, there's a story about a guy named Peter Lick, L-I-K. And uh, he's popped up in the news a few times. This is an opinion, again, for me, uh, but the petapixel story is Peter Lick called out by photographers over fake, quote, unquote, faked moon picture, okay? Uh, this guy, Peter Lick, is a photographer who makes these kind of over-the-top processed images. Uh, he says uh, in the article, it says that it's reported that he's made over half a billion dollars worth of prints, by the year 2015 not in 2015 but as of 2015 he's sold uh half a billion dollars uh and he's clo- he's claimed to have sold a single print for six and a half million dollars it's possible and people are looking at this picture of a moon it's a shot of a giant moon with sort of a cliff you know a rocky uh outcrop with some trees on it in the foreground and some clouds totally looks made up to me right it it's not my aesthetic I can see that it being other people's aesthetic and that's fine. But apparently uh, F Stoppers, uh, which is another website, uh, another good photography website, um, put out a 31 uh, a minute panel discussion debating about how fake is this picture. Okay, fake, real, whatever, right? I mean, it doesn't look real to me. There's no way that the moon could be, uh, I don't think the moon could be this big in a shot. Uh, I don't care what lens you're using. Uh, but to me, this totally looks like it's composited picture. It always looks like a composite picture. I don't care. It's a nice picture. It's got a feel to it, and I can see that it would appeal to a certain audience, but I could care less how it was made. It's personally not the kind of picture I would make, but the fact that people are spending time trying to rip this guy apart, saying it's fake, who cares? Why are we spending time on it? You know, uh, bec- are we begrudging the guy for making all this money on... Uh, photography and prints why are we trying to shoot this guy down now if he's saying some people are saying that his his people that are working for are saying these are actually you know real pictures now the story is amended in this petapixel it's amended that they uh the, uh, Peter Lick has now confirmed that the picture is a composite picture Well, duh I mean, it looks like a composite picture But people are measuring the moon And they're looking at the clouds And they're doing all this stuff am like, people, can you guys get a life? Can you leave this guy alone? Who cares what he's doing, okay? I don't care that if the guy's going to make a half a billion dollars per inch, You know, fine, happy for him But spending time knocking this guy down What's wrong with people? This feels like what this this country in America is like is like you build people up. You want people to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps, make a business for themselves and do all this stuff. And then when they get to the top, they start throwing rocks at them, all right? Leave this guy alone. You know, it may not be your kind of print, your style, whatever. To me, it looks obviously composited. I don't really care what the guy says, if they said it's real or not. To me, it looks composited. Fine, whatever. I don't care. But leave him alone. Spending all this time nitpicking and pixel peeping and whatever the hell you're doing in this guy's stuff, you know, go out and take pictures. Take your own moon pictures, right? Make your own composites, whatever. But spending time looking at this guy's stuff and ripping it apart is a waste of time, and I really think it's a waste of time to tell people to put an article like this. Now, I'm not blaming Petapixel. Excuse me. I'm not – this is not – they're just posting this, okay? So this is not directed at Petapixel. But anybody who's going to spend time, like you know, go, grabbing some guy's shots and saying, "This is not right," and going over every single little thing. Now, it's not a Steve. Um, oh, why am I spacing on his name? The National Geographic photographer who was found out to be uh, found out to have a um, photo assistant who was doing Photoshop work on his pictures. He's a documentary photographer, and why am I spacing on his name? Oh my God. Yeah, this is what happens when you get old. But you know who I'm talking about, okay? That's different because he's going around saying he's a documentary photographer and we're finding out that his prints uh, pictures have been uh, doctored. That's a whole different story. You know, this guy's a commercial photographer. He's not going out saying, I'm a documentary photographer. I'm documenting the moon and this outcrop and, and the trees. This is reality. It, it, it's not reality. And there's nothing wrong with not reality. People love composite pictures. I don't have a problem with composite pictures. You know, if the picture works, it's fine. But really, please, you know, spend your time going after this guy. You know, you're just wasting the rest of our time. And you're making it, I think, more difficult for people who want to do this kind of work. This is an art, okay? Photography is not necessarily walking around with a camera taking pictures and you're finished, okay? Nobody's finished with the picture when it comes out of the camera. I don't care who you are. Maybe if you're a documentary photographer and you're just recording what reality is and you have to, Okay, but even the camera, the kind of lens you're using, everything is manipulating reality. There's nothing real coming out of a camera. Zero. Okay? Everybody want to argue with me? Fine. Get on Twitter or Facebook. Let's argue about this. I want you to prove to me that a picture coming out of the camera is the truth. It is not. There's manipulation from the beginning. All right? The photographer even chooses what to show and what not to show. That's a manipulation of reality. So there's nothing real. All right? this i want people to like leave this guy alone i want you guys to not look at someone's work and, and cast rocks because he's compositing or not or he's saying one thing or not it doesn't matter we should wish a guy like this anybody you know all the luck in the world and you know go on make as much money as you can i'm i'm happy for this guy i'd love to make the money this guy's working with you know it would be great again it's not my style of picture i'd like to be able to do it with my own pictures but Leave him alone, right? And you know what? He probably doesn't really care. He's making enough money. He's looking at us. He doesn't care. People are buying his pictures. They don't care. They look at it. They see it, right? They know what they're buying. They're, they're not dumb. They're buying a picture because it, it says something to them. That's why people buy photography. That's why they buy art. It doesn't matter what the art looks like. It can be, you know, light, bright, you know, pencil drawings or whatever. I don't know, whatever. It doesn't matter. If it resonates with somebody and they want it, they're going to buy it, and I'm happy for them, okay? Don't do this, please. This is me telling you people, don't throw rocks at people who've done well, okay? It's just, you know, because one day it might be you, all right? You might have worked really hard on something, whatever you've done, and you get some yahoo comes by and says, "Well, and then you're going to feel like crap, and it's just not good. So let's be good with the world. All right, okay, last one. I think last one. Well, I'm gonna okay, I'm gonna go seven more minutes. Uh, I put little, little gaps in here so I can edit this together a little bit, but uh, I'm gonna go with this. Okay, so I'm a street photographer now, I'm not taking pictures for money, although I do sometimes still, but uh, street photography is on my mind all the time. And this story about street photographer, street photos of coincidences on, coincidences on New York City sidewalks. So I saw that title. I'm like, I got to look at this because street photography, in New York City. So uh, the, they have a story on a photographer, street photographer Jonathan Higby, And this guy is a master of setting up a coincidental pictures, basically mixing foreground and background elements that just happen to come together. And I think this stuff This guy's stuff is great It's such a You know I'm thinking about like How did this guy do this But you know what I know he did it He just found things And waited for the right time So pictures of I don't know There's a guy standing in the corner On a phone And there's a mural in the background And there's fire It looks like it's coming out of his hat uh, Another guy's walking In front of a mural Of a, a mural of a street Like a photographed mural Of a street scene With little people You know in the photograph, and he looks like a giant. Uh, You know, a woman reading a book with a face on it, and her face lines up perfectly with the head in the background. Uh, What else? Uh, A a guy with white hair, and in the background there's some steam coming out, and it matches his head. This is the kind of photography I love to see. Uh, They may not be the greatest pictures, and street photography photography is not always about the greatest pictures. It's about telling a great story and showing you things. I like to tell my class when I teach street photography, like I go out to show people what I saw today that they didn't see. And this photographer is going around New York City and he's finding uh, backgrounds and foregrounds that are, that are matching in such a way that make you laugh and just look at the world differently and make, you, make me kind of excited to go out and be patient with my camera and really think about what's in the foreground and the background. And, and could I ever do something like this? And I'm sure I could. But I, I encourage you to look at this story and uh, look at these pictures. And think about when you go out, you know, you don't have to be a street photographer. This is not only about street photography. We call this show Street Shots. <laughs> Tom came up with that name, actually. I liked it. But it's not about it's not about street photography only. It's about thinking about your photography in such a way of, like, telling stories and uh you know, thinking about what's in the foreground and what's in the background, what's in the middle, you know, and being very aware of that stuff. You're you're a photographer, and you're in control of a lot of stuff. You can control of what's that frame. That's kind of what photography is about: is being in control of light and subject. You know, and so this is this is a a photographer who's mastering this, and who knows how long he waited for certain things to happen. Especially even if you look at some of these pictures, some of the colors are interesting, the way they match. I mean, how did he wait for you know? guy with white hair to come by in a steam thing. I don't know. It's just it it's not luck, you know? You look at these pictures, I mean, well, I want to say there's an element of luck. But I don't even know what that means. Being in the right place at the right time, but, you know, being persistent and being patient and paying attention. Uh, these are kind of things that that work in all the different fields of photography. You know, that's kind of what we do. We go out there and we look, right? And we and we decide to show with our camera, things that we see that other people didn't see. You know, it's the kind of thing when you're walking down the street and you've got a camera and your friend who's not a photographer and you walk down the street and, and you come you come to the cafe and you start showing your friend the pictures that you took and the friend's like, I didn't see that. and like, yeah, because I did, you know, don't worry. Don't worry. You did not have to see it. I saw it for you. <laughs> I took the picture. So that's what we do. This kind of photography, you know, it, it shows a lot in the street photography, uh, especially because it's in an urban environment, it's New York City, and you think, wow, how did these things happen? But, you know, so much can happen in a city like New York because it's so compressed. There's so much happening, so many people. There's so many, like, life is sort of compressed into this tight area. So, all the stories are probably happening a lot. It might be a lot harder to find these kind of things, like if you're in the middle of, you know, the, the desert in New Mexico, you're probably not going to find people mixing with backgrounds as easily. Just, you know. Whatever, But you might find other things, other things that match. Anyway, sort of a long way sideways story. I I love these guys' pictures. I like anybody um, who takes shots like this, uh, who find uh, backgrounds and foregrounds that just sort of mix. And and you have a lot of fun with it, and there's humor. And that's kind of what I like about street photography. like finding those little stories uh, that you see every day uh, in in a city environment. So it keeps me going. And uh, it it certainly keeps this photographer going. Okay, so I actually managed to talk to you guys for an hour. Basically, just going through Petapixel, going through some stories. There's like six or seven more stories that I'd like to talk about. I'll have to save that for another day when I'm by myself. (laughs) I don't have anybody to talk to. But yeah, this this has been great. Please uh, give me some feedback. Tell me how much you like, whether or not you like this or not. You know, I'm sitting here by myself talking to you guys. Uh, I like when we do a show when I have another person on. I, I do like that dialogue. Um, but I do want to do a show twice a month. And sometimes it's not always easy to get people. You know, life happens and people have to bow out for all sorts of reasons. And, and uh, you know, that's fine, you know. But uh, I want to keep it going. I love doing this show. And I love sharing my long sort of experience with photography with you, with you all because that's what I like to do. Uh, so anyway, thanks for hanging in there uh, for nearly an hour, and uh, you know you can find us on our website, which is switchtomanual.com. Recently, it was off the air, but now it's back on. It's a little rusty. We're not doing any photo walks, but one of the things we are doing is portfolio reviews. It's a great way to help support our site because then you're hiring. Like me or Tom to look at your pictures and give you some professional feedback about those pictures So if you want to support us, that's a great way to do it because this way we're actually (laughs) We're working for you guys. We're actually looking at your pictures and uh, Giving you some professional feedback. So if you go to our site and you click on the portfolios tab You can see that we have some uh, three different tiers of portfolio reviews and uh, you know, there's a free one you can you know, try us out see if you like our style um, but I would, I would give it a shot. You know that's a great way to support us and, and help us keep this show going. So we're also on Twitter at Switch the Number Two Manual. So Switch Two Manual. Uh, that's a great place to find us and have an open discussion. I love Twitter, so I'm on there all the time. If, if you're on Twitter, you might as well also follow me at at A M Rosario, and you can follow Tom at Witness Photog P H O T O G. Do us a favor, and follow us there. Also, we're on Instagram at switch the number two manual although I'm not posting as much there I'm trying to but you know it's a, a lot to manage with all these social networks uh, so you know and look if you get us on iTunes uh, please give us some feedback and some ratings I'd like to get the show more popular the best thing you could do is tell your friends who are photographers who are getting into photography to listen to us and to get involved in you know photography and, and join us in the discussion uh, that's the best way you can support us also we another way to support us is we have a tip cup <laughs> If you don't want to get your pictures looked at, but you want to throw us some change uh, for getting a beer or maintaining the website, uh, you can do a tip cup on our, our pod page or on the page on our website where we host the, uh, host the feed. So uh, I think you throw us some chump change. It would be really appreciative. We've had some uh, producers, we call them producers uh, help us out in the past six months. And we really, really appreciate that. There's been a nice surprise to get that email and have a donation sent to us. And I'm, really, really happy to, uh, to have that, you know, it's just, uh, means a lot to me and Tom that people are willing to support us. Is there anything else I'm missing? Uh, Flickr, Facebook, or, you know, Flickr, or, yeah, or Flickr, and all the other things. Um, anyway, uh, I'm, you'll, you'll want to listen to me as well on, uh, other podcasts. I'm on with Bart Bueschatz on his, uh, Let's Talk Photography podcast. I'm also on a lot with, uh, Shutter Time with Sid and Mac, uh, our Canadian, uh, cousins uh so check those guys out as well Uh, i pop on there now and then but they're also great podcasts even when i'm not on (laughs) but uh yeah i'm gonna record a i'm gonna record a show this week with uh sid and mac on friday i think this is well on tuesday we're gonna talk about ethics and photography i haven't done my homework yet on that but uh I will let you guys know when that show is up and, uh, you know, support those guys too. They have a Patreon account too. i want to get a Patreon for Switch to Manuals too so we can uh, start doing it twice a month, uh, put them out, uh, get you guys to listen to us, talk photography, get all the experience from us and give it to you. So thanks for listening. <laughs> really appreciate it. And uh, see you later. And if Tom was here, he'd say adios.